Hello and welcome to Radio, um, a podcast by the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa, made by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Um, today our guest is Jason Goldberg, who is the co-founder of Edge Growth and 10X. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks for us. Uh, I think the easiest thing to always do is uh, for our listeners is to give us your um, elevator pitch. Hmm. Elevator pitch. So, uh, <laughs> my current uh, phase of life, I basically help entrepreneurs scale up. Uh, so, if you are uh, building a business for the first time, scaling past 15 to 20 headcount, starting to experience growing pains, that's really what we do. We help uh, entrepreneurs grow beyond that point by adopting the globally cutting-edge techniques that are proven to help companies scale beyond small. Okay. And, I mean, how did you give us a little bit of a sense of how you ended up here um, scaling businesses for other people? um, Cool. And not just growing some sort of a monster yourself so you could retire (laughs) on a small island somewhere. So, uh, it's uh, quite a long story, but... um, uh, so I'll start with the brief kind of long ago background. I mean, I grew up really poor, so I just wanted to be rich. So out of college, I just looked for the highest paying job and I went and got that one. And I earned tons of money. Did So was you a banker? I was a consultant with Bain and okay. Co. at a time where they were new to the country and had to compete with you know their global competitors for talent and clients. And so they basically paid us in dollars. Uh, more than you'd get paid at all the other firms, uh, to build an office really fast. And so, you know, we earned tons of cash. And then, you know, when we finished, uh, Bain would go work for a client who's used to paying Bain a fortune. And so by paying us a fortune, they saved a fortune. <laughs> so, so you know, you could continue this crazy uh, life. And, um, you know, I lived in Central America for two years, uh, working for an airline. Literally all my earnings went into offshore account tax-free. Uh, couldn't even spend my expense allowance and traveled the world for free because we worked for an airline. So we could just, we had a car to just go check in and fly. And um, so it was an amazing life. But uh, around about the age of 25, 26, basically had an encounter with God, came back to South Africa to help poor people. So since that age, I've, my mission has been addressing poverty in Africa. So I founded Edge at age 28 or so. Um, that was 2006. Six-ish, late 2006, started the journey. And the mission has always been to create jobs to address poverty. Um, so that's what we do. And, uh, and, and the three parts of our business, the one is uh, we fund companies. We've invested in about 50 capital from corporate South Africa, mostly. Uh, secondly, we help corporate South Africa develop small businesses in their supply chain. And the third part is 10X, and 10X is the kind of the newcomer. Um, how 10X came around, and that's what I run today, um, how 10X came around is, is basically the two important parts of th- that story. The one is I just completely burnt out scaling it. Uh, it was like really, uh, it was a really dark valley that I went through because uh, I just didn't know that I didn't know how to scale a company. You know, it's just, We were just building and growing, and I was so out of my depth because uh, in addition to scaling edge, I mean, we were running a fund management company and I had no experience yeah. at that whatsoever. So I was completely clueless, doing my best, like uh, working uh, harder than I had ever worked in my life and I'd worked hard and, um, and I completely burnt out. So, so I realized that I just didn't know how to scale a company um, and I needed to learn really fast. Um, and then the second part of the story is when we were investing in companies, 
we saw that same movie playing out. Uh, high potential entrepreneurs like who have now caught the bus and need to find out what to, what to do with it. And, and as their business grows, because they've now got capital, um, they just burn out and like make massive stuff ups, you know, big, big bad decisions, hiring mistakes, um, that, and many of them lost their businesses. And some of them didn't lose their businesses, but lost their families um, or some combination. And it happened too often. And because our mission is creating jobs, I mean, beyond just investing and, you know, making money for our investors, we really care about businesses growing and mm. growing well. And so I spent a lot of time researching globally, like, is this normal? Um, what do people do about this? How do people scale companies around the world? And um, that was an interesting journey. And what I learned is that it's normal around the world. Scaling is bloody hard. Um, secondly, nobody's really cracked it. There are a couple of practitioners like around the world who are ser typically serial entrepreneurs and they've got a, a system, like a way that they think works. And, um, and then there are, you know, they the, are emerging the burns of this world who launched Scaling Up only two years ago, I think, the book. Um, so we started 10X before kind of Scaling Up was published. And there wasn't a lot, you know, of systematic literature focused on the scale-up phase. Lots on starting up, lots on running a big company, good to great and all that. Not a lot so on scale-up. there's also the up. components, like this is how to be a manager, this is how to be a salesperson, this is how to be that. Exactly, yeah. And and so, so like, we just figured, geez, nobody's helping scale-up scale-up. we gotta, we got to do that. So um, we started about five years ago in our fund management business, helping the companies we invested in. And and slowly but surely, um, we put together some good stuff and decided that we needed to make it more broadly available. So three years ago, we founded 10X specifically for that, to go beyond the companies we invest in, and just help any scale-up that wants help to scale up. And um, so that's how we got here. Right. Mm. So, so, I mean, you, it seems like you were quite clear on, on your mission, kind of mm. like alleviating poverty in Africa by creating mm -hmm. jobs. Mm. Um, and we've seen... Uh, or I've, I've spoken to many people making this podcast and just in my day-to-day -day life, and often the ones that succeed are the ones that are quite clear in their vision and head towards it all the time. Um, would you say that you guys are still on track? Is that still, like, is that was your founding kind of idea? Is it still here in the organization today? Very strongly. Um, it's evolved, so it's, so it's not static. And I'd say that our mission has broadened slightly from uh, you know, the very, very clear, narrow, and focused uh, address poverty by creating jobs to addressing poverty through four pillars of impact, one of which is creating jobs. So now it's creating jobs. It's helping black entrepreneurs, very important in this country, um, generally supporting entrepreneurship um, and, uh, and economic development. So, and that's because uh, over 11 years, as we've expanded, we found different people in the organization resonate with different pillars of the impact that we create. So I, for example, I'm still firmly focused on job creation through helping scale-ups. But there are different people in this company who don't care that much about that. They care about helping young black entrepreneurs. And so, you know, under this roof, you can find a home if any one of those four pillars is the primary thing you resonate with. And the thing that holds them together is building businesses for impact. So, so fundamentally, that hasn't changed, but the specific form of impact has evolved a bit. Um, and I mean, tell me, can you tell us a little bit about how you, you know, because a lot of people have these wonderful statements and they then design a beautiful banner and they stick it on a wall yeah. and then every now and yeah. again someone walks past it while they're making tea and they're like, oh yeah, that's what we're doing here. Yeah. How do you turn that into a, yeah. a daily, weekly, monthly, yeah. yearly practice? So I think the, 
uh, without question, the most important thing is just who you hire. Uh, for us, um, you know, if we hire people who come here because they care about that, the rest takes care of itself. You know, it finds its way into all conversations, into metrics and targets. And just because people care about that and they get angry if we're not doing what we said we're here to do. Um, so we take a lot of care in how we hire and who we hire. And I'd say the majority of people here really, really do care. Uh, you know, they leave well-paid jobs to come and work here because there's something they're missing there. And it's about getting up in the morning, feeling like their day matters, their life counts. And they get that here, but they only get that here if we're doing it. And so we, we get held, held to account clearly uh, by our people if we're not. And so we've had ebbs and flows, times are really strong and times where it doesn't find its way into the key meetings and discussions. And um, we're pretty quickly kept honest by, by our people when we're too focused on kind of transactional execution. Yes. Yeah. I love that idea of hiring the right people. Mm. Um, have, you, have you got tools or, or tricks that you use in order, like would you not hire a great candidate if you didn't think they were on, on mission? On mission. So uh, yes is the answer. Uh, there's, there's always kind of a spectrum, right? So people can resonate with the mission anywhere between naught and 100%. And yeah. the ones that are like, you know, 90% resonance are clear. The ones that are 0% resonance are clear. The ones that are 50% resonance are unclear. Yeah. You know, is it enough for them to like give mojo to our culture around here? And so I'd say, you know, we, we've definitely turned away talented people because we don't feel they're a fit. Um, and a large part of fit is mission alignment. Um, I'd say we also have a lot of people who are, it's a nice to have for them. It is nice but it's nice to have, not a mm. need to have. Yeah. So I'd say we're at 80%. We're like 80% of people are here because they really care and 20% and it's a nice to have. They don't not care, but it's like they, they, might, they might take another job because they earn more. Um, except for most of our people, that's not true. I think it's also interesting that idea that, uh, you know, like a lot of this, the, the, the literature you read is like you need to define your mission and then it's almost yeah. like that's a, you put a full stop on that and like be yeah. done. I yeah. like that concept that it is this, ever moving targets you are on mission slightly off mission and you yeah. kind of need to wiggle your way towards it but yeah. I, I think it does serve quite nicely as something like a guiding principle over time as opposed to in every interaction it's massive it's one of the things i'd most recommend entrepreneurs get right and and for lots of reasons one of which is just how it energizes your people i mean that that is huge but much more importantly i think is how much it energizes me when things are hard and when things aren't working and when I don't know if they're going to work. Um, and so, so the kind of the, uh, just the, the, gr the grit to keep going through the dark valley, I find a large part of that comes from just knowing that we're doing the right thing and we have to keep going. Yeah, and I suppose it is, um, I think you've touched on an interesting thing there of that like you are on your personal journey as an entrepreneur um, and sometimes you are faced with, do I take that money out of the company and put it in my personal bank account or do I yeah. upset my family and put it back into the company even though I've been promising to take money out of the company forever and yeah. this can be the thing to help push you through that. Definitely. I mean, like it becomes much less of a dichotomy, you know, like work versus um, personal life and all the things I care about when you really, really, really do care about work. And then, then it's more fluid, you know, and you just make the right trade-off at the time. But it's not, um, it feels much less like, um, you know, dichotomy between two parts of my life. 
And does your family buy into the mission and care yeah. or are they just tired of you? Oh, comes <laughs> Jason to yeah. wax lyrical about creating jobs again and we don't care. No, no, uh, my family cares a lot. To be honest, uh, fa- family at this point is, um, you know, direct family is my wife because my, my boy's three years old. He's still, you know, got a while to go before he understands these things really well. He understands helping people. My, my wife and I are fully bought in. Um, my more extended family love what we do, but they don't experience the consequences the way my wife does, obviously. Mm. But she, she's, um, you know, walked with me through some dark valleys, so she, she's in. Okay. Yeah. And now, obviously, you're running this thing, you're running your business, but you're also helping other people run businesses. Do, mm. you, do you ever find, like, does that reveal interesting stuff to you mm. along the way? Have you yeah. uh, solved a problem for a client and then realized that you haven't, haven't even thought about this for yourself? Yeah, look, it's, um, it's actually extremely handy. I, I imagine you find this in your creative business. It's handy that you have to do for your clients things you should do for yourself. Yes. Um, firstly, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard. Uh, secondly, you learn things, you know, maybe you should have known before, but you learn through your clients and through helping your clients. So that happens with us as well, of course. Um, uh, I'm very fortunate that I don't actually run Edge Growth. The broader business, you know, we've, I've got co-founders, and, you know, the group is run by one of my co-founders. I run just the 10x part. And frankly, I plan to hand that over in two years as well um, because I actually am a craftsman. I like the work of helping other entrepreneurs. Um, and I want to build a business that enables me to do that as opposed to build the business that requires other people to do that for me. You know, and I, I'm very comfortable with that preference that I have, not to be the CEO, but rather to do the helping of of other CEOs. At the moment, I have to balance the two. And in doing that, I do learn a huge amount about my shortcomings from you know, clients and and also you know have a lot that I apply because of what I do. You know, we have to build IP and tools that then I'm like, hey, we should use that. Yeah. <laughs> that that does happen a lot. And, and more so in my business because 10X is a startup still. Yes. Uh, we're three years old. It, we help scale up. So, so our clients are further down the road than we are. Of course, edge growth is further down the road than most of our clients are. Um, so, you know, I've got both. I've got the mature organization that hardly needs me anymore. I've got the, the startup that I'm, is too dependent on me right now, and my clients are in between those points. Yeah. That's such an interesting. So, I mean, with that kind of perspective, <clears throat> you know, what do you see are the challenges in this kind of economic climate we find ourselves in? Like, what do you, what do you yeah. see are the things that, people, that are going to start coming at people over the next year? So I look. I'm a I'm a quirky person. So I have a particular ideology on things. But you know, my view is, um, as an entrepreneur, the only the only uh, mindset to to have towards these extraneous challenges is, you know, the the challenges are are the problems with my mindset. Um, you know, of course, the world is making things harder. The economy is slowing down. There are fewer and fewer corners to make a quick buck. Um, but the problem with that isn't that. The problem is the way I'm seeing that. Um, and what I need to do is spend time shifting my mindset to where I'm again seeing the opportunity as green fields and fresh and attractive. And I'm crystallizing that into what we're going to do and going after it. So I'm leading, in other words. And so that, that's where you know, I'm always going to bring you know, the challenge back to is how I'm, how I'm confronting reality. You know, but I mean, focusing on the extraneous things, I think, you know, of course, for um, slow growth is bad for most. There are always counter-cyclical businesses. We have one of those. So we're seeing a lot of growth. But 
And most businesses... So everyone's, seeing, everyone's panicking and rushing straight in here to, for, for help. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but also, we, you know, our, most of our business, uh, our, most of our revenue is driven by BE and transformation. And the pressure is just piling on in that area. So elections are good for us because the ANC needs to show results. They need to put pressure on and that means people need our help. So we, we are counter-cyclical in the, in the sense that our industry is growing despite the economy not. Um, so we're not living through this, but of course, you know, when your market is shrinking, price pressure is on, uh, you're needing to be more innovative with less resources. Um, that means you're needing the best out of your people and out of yourself. And it's at a time when, you know, you're feeling, you know, more and more stretched. And so, so I'd say that, um, yeah, times, times are tough. Um, it's time for more innovation than ever, and there's less time for it than ever. Um, it's the time to get the best talent and it's hardest to afford it. Um, it's the time to have the most cash reserves, but, you know, the margins are thin and people aren't funding as easily and um, it is tough. But but I think as entrepreneurs, we, we've got to kind of turn the lens inward and, and set our mind right for tough times and that's half the battle won. Okay. And I mean, now, now saying all of that, uh, you know, you, you said a couple of really big words and one of them was innovation. Uh, I'd love to hear what your <laughs> take on what innovation is. So I don't have a really academic like definition of innovation. I think what I think innovation is, is driven by my personality. And that is like clearly understanding problems and solving them in novel ways that others haven't figured out before and then monetizing that. That's what I think of as innovation, and I think it applies to everything in your business, from who you hire and how you hire to your product. I mean, product is the obvious, you know, space for innovation, but I think it applies to everything: uh, how you use systems or don't use systems, how you introduce policies and principles in your business or don't. I think innovation applies to everything, and and I think that um, you know the the real heart of innovation for me is a commitment to. Figure, figuring out really smart ways of doing things that haven't been figured out before. And that depends on a commitment to really understanding the issues really well. Um, how that manifests, of course, you know, so products that are smarter, better, faster, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it's what we've got pockets in our business that are very innovative. We're pockets that like are terrified of innovation, let alone, you know, not innovative. They don't want innovation. Mm. Um, so we, we see all those pockets and, and my main learning is innovation is a mindset. It's like a um, unwillingness to live with the status quo. It's a determination to own things and like figure out what needs to be done and do it um, and bring creativity and boldness to that. Um, and that, that's where innovation lives for me. So I find that very interesting. We, you know, so so obviously you've mentioned mm. my company, Nice Work, does. Mm. Um, we, we do lots of creative services, and the core of that mm. is just asking a billion questions mm. and being open to different answers. Mm. So I've got this team that simultaneously, you know, we run an agile process, mm. and they're very comfortable coming mm. up with mm. weird ideas and testing mm. the fringes of yeah. things and failing and working yeah. and adjusting. Mm. But then. It is an interesting one when we're starting to move away from our mm. pure business of design as a yeah. as a service mm. and looking at it from a slightly mm. different lens, how right. the same people are so comfortable in one area of innovation yeah. and change when you start challenging the fundamentals of their their kind of career and the paths that they've walked, suddenly yeah. it becomes a different conversation and, and you do feel Very that different. resistance. 
Completely. And I mean, I think you've put your finger on a key issue there, which is innovation is easy when there aren't stakes. And innovation is hard when there are real stakes. Mm. For me, the individual, like if this innovation works out, like it'll have positive consequences for me. And if it doesn't, like I'm going to feel pain. Uh, then, then innovation is really hard. I suppose there's also, if it works out for me, is my job needed anymore? Are right. my skills, are the skills I've spent the last 20 yeah. years of my life honing, mm. are those valid anymore or have they yeah. been replaced by a product or a software or a crowdfunded solution or whatever it is? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I resonate with that. I, I have a high risk appetite. So in this business on a spectrum, I'm one of the guys willing to take most risk. And, um, but we, we have a lot of people who are professional investors, for example, very low risk appetite uh, as individuals, they're professionals. You know? So, um, so we, we see all those risk appetites um, on a spectrum and I think I, I terrify a lot of people with <laughs> some of the things that- Are you uh, more convincing than they are? Sometimes, but sometimes not. No, okay. we, we have got good people. Maybe. Have you been beaten down by a spreadsheet or Plenty. two in your time? <laughs> Plenty, yeah. And sometimes not the spreadsheet. Sometimes okay. just enough people saying that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm also impressed, and, and we can go on record here, but I think you're the first person in the last kind of 16 months to talk about innovation without mentioning the word blockchain even once. <laughs> Uh, maybe it's ignorance. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you know, now I'm interested mm. in in the dynamic of having a startup mm. inside a mm. established business. Mm. How do you balance that? And have you found times when mm. the interests of the startup and the interests of its the kind of host organization don't necessarily align? I mean, how do you how do you balance that stuff? Yeah, look, it is tough. It is really hard. Um, I think we are helped by the fact that 10X has enormous synergy with our core business edge growth. So uh, because of that, we, we live with the very material downsides of starting a startup inside a, a mature organization with policies, procedures, like a, a steady state culture that like doesn't like exceptions. Um, and so, so we, you know, we're very fortunate that there's such a good, if you want to call it that, business case to live with the downsides. But, you know, if I think about how SnapScan, you know, tried to survive and failed in Standard Bank, I can relate to that. I can relate to why they just got killed uh, by this behemoth they got swallowed by. Because we live through that, all the reasons why it doesn't work. We, mm. we live, actually live through that daily still. Um, but I guess where, where it sinks or swims is with kind of uh, maturity of leadership. So I think um, it, it's helped by the fact that the, the founder of the startup was also the founder of the group. And, and the fact that, you know, there's strong maturity in our group organization. So I, I'm a very passive leader within the group because I'm so like full on in 10x so I, you know, I've got co-founders that I can really trust there and they're like really mature. So they, they live with the discomfort that 10X brings through all the ways we break the rules and don't follow procedure and cause kind of, you know, moaning and groaning and culture conflicts and so on. They, we, we just try and manage it maturely and minimize the tensions and to, like get the synergy out. And it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It causes tough conversations. But, you know, we, we're, we're making it work and it's working very well for us, but not without a lot of pain. Okay, and if, yeah. if you were to, you know, so, so yeah. I'm sure lots of our listeners are yeah. either starting a startup, 
mm-hmm. inside their own company mm-hmm. or looking to acquire mm-hmm. a, a startup? Yeah. Is there anything that you could share with them on how to kind of do that better or avoid yeah. some of the massive pitfalls you've seen <laughs> or, you know, kind of any learnings yeah. that, that you could pull out there? So I, I think with um, a good question like this, it, the answer's got to be very situational. So I'll share some, you know, general platitudes, principles. But, um, you know, I would say, like, uh, if these don't work for you, throw them out the window because it's so situational. But so so here are some no-brainers. Um, so one, try and have high EQ on both sides because uh, in the end, you're dealing with uh, conflicting ways of doing things, uh, policies, conf- uh, cultural tenets, etc., and and the only way you're going to live through those conflicts is through like people with good intent and wisdom on both sides working it out. Um, so that's one. Uh, then secondly, I'd say if you can at all do this, like just keep the startup separate, organizationally separate. Um, there are going to be lots of advantages to merging, you know, lower costs and so on. And running like a separate management structure, separate everything. Everything. Okay. A- as separate as you can possibly make them, make them that separate. Um because that that's what the startup needs to thrive, to be fast, to be innovative and not have to check in with Big Brother and clear things and um, and and be able to do different things for different people just because it makes sense and it works and not have to comply with, you know, the the whatever remuneration policy or the uh, work flexibility policy and all the other things that come with a mature organization that has had to work through things that are broken and create rules or policies. Um, so just keep them separate um, for as long as you can keep them separate. And where there is a need for interaction, structure the interaction to get the job done, but keep them separate. Now, a lot of the time that's just not possible. So so then you know, you just know, you set up for a hard road, um, but try and avoid that if at all possible. And then thirdly, I'd say before you do it, just be realistic about if it's going to work. Mm. If they need to be merged, if the startup depends a lot on speed, which depends on autonomy and freedom and quick decision-making, et cetera, and if there isn't really high EQ and wisdom you know, on both sides, then probably just don't do it in the yeah. first place because you know, the, the upside's not going to pan out. It's amazing to see mm. how many, especially in the tech space, mm. how much how many of these companies are just swallowed up by big banks, big tech houses, and they're swallowed up, and then you just see the talent slowly bleed back out into the market. And Completely. the products that had huge, massive potential just kind of disappear. Yeah, and it's it's predictable. It's completely predictable. So I think that the better model is these, you know, um, these acquisitions where the business is acquired, but the agreement upfront is it's going to operate completely independently. Um, the product and service or whatever is going to slowly but surely be merged over time. But the startup team is going to build the execution team that is over time going to run it. And everyone agrees that the startup team are best left as exactly that startup team. Um, like a separate skunk works on the side doing their thing. Completely. And then if you want them, if you want those people, then you have to create that environment for them. Otherwise, you don't have them. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, and and have you seen organizations that have done this correctly and, and kind of managed to pull this off? Yeah, so I think that the the global banks are, are learning fast from past mistakes. Um, that, uh, you know, the, one of the best ways to build innovation is to go and look out 
for a team that's built a cracker product that has relevance to their business um, and do uh, you know what lots of people call an acqui-hire. You buy the business to get the team. And of course, maybe you want the product, but you really want the team. But you want the team for a specific thing, which is con- continue building this product and integrate it into your bank. Mm. Um, and you just structure the deal up front knowing you're not going to integrate this team into your organization. That's a bad idea. Um, and therefore working around that. Um, so, uh, you know, that uh, the, and I think locally, um, I think RM, I don't know all the banks well and how they do this, but I can tell you RMH are very realistic about this. Um, and so when they think of acquisition, they think of these things, they're realistic about the failure rate of, you know, integrations post acquisition. Um, and I think they just got a lot of, a lot of street smarts, uh, with how they do this. But I mean, I don't, I don't deal a lot with kind of corporate acquisitions. It's not really what I do. So I don't know the full landscape. I do deal a lot with first rand. So that's why I know how they do it. They do it. Okay. I mean, I see even the, the consulting companies like Accenture bought Fjord yeah. and didn't swallow them. So separate brand, separate office, separate everything. They just put a little Accenture logo on the bottom of the And that, the that's letterhead. smart. Exactly. And then, you know, time will tell if even that works because that may not also work. Um, but that is more likely to work than swallowing them. Okay. Mm. And now we, we started a, a discussion earlier around your your um, some of your courses mm. um, and, and I thought it would be valuable to hear. So probably mm. one of the highest recommended things is your, uh, your scaling up course from 10X. Mm. Um, and you were just telling me why you think mm. so many entrepreneurs who are so <coughs> reserved in recommending mm. things. Um, why you think people recommend that that so much? So I think it's it's two things. So one is I think that um, you know we they walk into three day uh, journey really where we we help them understand what they're living through and it's like for the first time they really get it. They get why they're experiencing the things that they are. Why they going through the challenges that they're living through and. Uh, you know, because there aren't, in my experience, locally at least, other people who've attempted to help scale up scale and deal with the problems specific to scaling. So there's a lot of, you know, courses out there for entrepreneurs, but um, a lot of it isn't isn't designed for scale-ups and doesn't hit the nail on the head with regard to the issues scale-ups face. And so it's the first time they've had this experience where finally they get it. They get what they're going through and they get the tools that they need to use and they're not alone. It's not just them. And they're not just idiots that have created all this mess. It's, it's the journey um, that they're on. So I think that's one. We help them understand what they're living through. And it's, it's liberating to realize that you know, there's a science around this, this mess they're living through. Um, I think the second thing is they, you know, I'm not a lecturer. So they're not walking into a course delivered by a Gibbs prof or, you know, um, I'm someone who's lived through it, and they can tell this comes from having lived through scaling up, not having a cooking clue what I'm doing, right? And making every stuff up in the book and needing to unwind that and figure out how to do it right, but from the departure point of deep scars on the back. And they appreciate that they're not talking or listening to a lecturer that, that has read all the stuff in a book but not lived through it. They appreciate they're talking to one of them. Um, someone who's lived through it. So I think those are the two main things. But uh, like, I definitely think that we've done more work than anyone locally. Certainly, 
um, synthesizing the global cutting edge of how you scale a company. Like we invested a lot of money and time in that and off the back of our experience. And then we just have rules. You can't, you can't work with our clients unless you've scaled the business and you've got deep scars on your back. Um, and I think that, that you know, people really appreciate that firsthand experience living through this um, and therefore being humble because you've made the same stuff ups. And I'm interested, you know, so, so you live in this environment and you're exposed to all these different businesses, but you've still chosen to join an organization like EO. Um, yeah. Like, why, why did you do that? And, and I'd also be interested <laughs> to see how yeah. EO has affected what you do on a sort of day-to-day basis. So there are two main reasons I joined, although there are other parts of the value proposition I believe in. But, you know, for me personally, uh, one is, um, like, you know, the longer you go, um, the more you realize you don't know. So it's the opposite of like the longer you've been going, the less you need things like EO. The longer you've been going, the more you realize you need things like EO. So so it's just, you know, realization I need to keep learning, growing, and I want to do that from people living through the kinds of things I'm going through. Um, and, and the second is I personally learn most uh, through processing the journey, mine and others. And I find that EO brings like a very important discipline of like once a month, you know, the, the, the four-minute check-in reflecting on the 5% highs and lows across different areas of life. I wouldn't do that if it weren't for forum. I find that extremely valuable. And I find it extremely valuable listening to other people process their journeys. And normally it's a mirror. And I see things that they are consciously living through, many of which I'm living through, but I haven't conscientized yet. And so I, you know, deepen my own learning experience by, by processing other people's journeys. And this so, is so that mirror of what you hear and what resonates with you and exactly, reflecting yeah. on that being like, why did, why did that mm. stick with me? Why, like, what is it exactly. in my world right now that yeah. makes that shiny to me? So it's, it's, to be honest, it's the 45 minutes of four minute check-ins that, you know, is the reason I'm part of EO personally. Um, and I get a lot of value out of the rest of forum, like the presentations are valuable, but by far the four-minute check-in uh, and the discipline around that is, you know, the reason I do EO. Um, and plan to continue, you know, like I don't think you, um, as an entrepreneur, and particularly if you get what this, you know, this era of time is about, the fourth industrial revolution, like if you don't take seriously how fast you're learning and reinventing yourself, like it's a matter of time until you're dead. Um, so I, I take that very seriously. Like I'm trying, trying to be reinvented, like as a new entity fundamentally, personally, every mm. three or five years, um, so that I'm competent for a completely new level of challenge than of I things. was previously. Yeah. But I think you've touched on. I mean, in this conversation, you've touched on quite a few of those like principles that I think work. So like you got that clarity of vision. Like you know yeah. what, yeah. not what you're doing, but why you like why are you doing it? And then the other one you just mentioned is like that idea of discipline. Like. Mm. Um, I think there's very few people that if they set a clear goal mm. and then make all of the hard choices that need to be made to get yeah. to that goal, I think almost everything is achievable if you kind of do that. Completely, yeah. But, I'm a very, I'm a very um, actually spontaneous personality. So I'm, I'm like my personality profile is inspired. So I respond to uh, inspiration, but like that's very unreliable. <laughs> so. So I've had to counterbalance that by building You can't wake up and not have inspiration and then go stand in front of a room of people who are expecting something. Exactly, yeah. So, so like, I'm fortunate that I've lived through some classic stuff-ups in my life and been forced by pain 
to to bind to the value of discipline and you know just what keeps you doing the right things even when you don't feel like it. Uh, I'm a very big believer in that, and like it comes through a lot in our ten x stuff. I try and help people stack disciplines that will serve them well. And do you find? I mean, we've been quite successful at designing the right behaviors into processes. So, so instead of relying on people to make the inhuman choice of, I really want to do that, but I'm going to do the opposite because it's the right thing to do to kind of design yeah. a, an experience that's almost yeah. easier to choose the right thing than the wrong thing. So you're nudging well. Um, uh, I've probably got a lot to learn from you in that area. Um, I think, you know, we probably don't do that as well as we should. Uh, we, we try and... I guess we try and uh, uh, force discipline um, by scheduling things, putting time in the diary, and there's a human being that's going to be there with you, and and so on. But um, and we, I find that that entrepreneurs, like actually, if they know they're going to be getting help from a seasoned entrepreneur that's been there, um, they show up, yeah. and and once they've shown up, then they they they're all in to the process. And that's what we, we, we rely on heavily is just the seasoned help that entrepreneurs get. I think we, I need to kind of schedule time with you to learn how you nudge and kind of adopt a lot of your learnings. It's an interesting, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've had a business coach for years and I think 80% of why I still have my business coach is because he forces you're like, oh, what was on the list last time? Right, like, yeah, what have you done? Yeah, what haven't yeah. you done? I don't want to walk into that room yeah, exactly. and say I've done nothing. It's been 30 days and I've done sweet yeah. stuff all and I'm exactly where I was yeah. because I pay you to and I complain <laughs> to you. You go, sorry, dude, like you were complaining. Yeah. We agreed on a path forward and you didn't even bother to take one step down that path. So I'm not going to listen to you complain yeah. again. It's a thing. I mean, like we, we don't want to. Uh, not live up to our commitments. Um, so we, we rely a lot on that. Yeah. I heard a very powerful thought mm. where nobody ever asks, if you have a conversation with someone and you're like, um, I've got a personal trainer, that no mm. one's ever like, oh, that's weird, why? You know, they're yeah, like, okay, yeah. cool. Then you say, I've got a business coach. And like a lot of people are like, mm. oh, that's also, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Like I can wrap my head around it. But if you say, I'm going to see a psychologist or someone yeah. like that, it's now mm. this like weird thing. taboo <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this person saw it as I need to coach my physical body I need to yeah. coach my mind and I need to coach yeah. my business and they're all doing yeah. exactly the same thing yeah, yeah, because you know that you work out five times harder when you're paying someone yeah. to watch you do it Completely, and you, yeah. you think about your business way deeper and way more focusedly yeah. when you're paying someone lots of money to, to do it and the same thing yeah. on your mind like yeah. your mindset is 80% of your yeah. battle and a lot of people don't invest in in mental completely mental like strength almost like I, and I mean I can definitely tell you that a huge part of the success of you know what we've done has been me seeing a psychologist I mean I when I when I first got a business coach I I actually looked intently for someone who was a trained psychologist I wanted a business coach that was also psychologist because I knew I've got issues I've got stuff mm. and that is part of what hinders me in business and I need help and um, to pity it's a taboo because it's true of all of us <laughs> and um, if we you know if we can all just confront our stuff like more head-on and more fast um, we'll get a lot further in our businesses there's no there's no doubt for me that the biggest bottleneck in most of our businesses is me 
And uh, I suppose you know now that you've said it on a mm. public domain, we're going to check yeah. in with you. We'll we'll schedule another recording in what do you want, like six months, <laughs> and I'll tell please. you how many of your how many of your darkest secrets you've managed to <laughs> to work your way through. Cool, I'd be happy to. I actually am quite open about those things. <laughs> and I suppose mm. because this is mm. the first time I'm recording in 2019, mm. I'd like mm. to end this mm. whole interview mm. off just asking you. Kind of like, what are you? What are your outlooks in twenty nineteen? What do you see happening? Where, like, what's keeping you? What's exciting you? What's what's coming? So, I mean, obviously, the world and South Africa are in tough times. Um, so, economic growth has to be found. You have to go find it. Um, it's not going to happen. You're not on. You know, you're not riding a wave anymore. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we we're actually pretty bullish. We're, we're you know we have been out there for the last two years looking for growth, looking for big opportunities. Some of those we hope to land this year. I mean, we are growing well and we hope for those extra big opportunities to land. And and we're lining up the next three or four years of big opportunities by planting seeds today. So like that, my philosophy is just always to be managing a portfolio in different time horizons, right? You're executing on, on today you're planting for next year, and then you're also kind of clearing fields for three, four years' time. So you've got options on future growth. And so that, that, that's my philosophy, and we're carrying that through this tough time. South Africa's economic climate is slow. The world is the same. But we we seen growth, and we're going after it. So um, I don't know. Does that answer your question? No, but I, I love that thought. I love, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to end you guys with that, that economic growth, growth has to be found. Like, mm-hmm. you've got to go out there and, and yeah. look for it. It's not coming. It is out there, yeah. You just you look in different places and you look better than others. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Um, you've been listening to Radio, which is a podcast by the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. And I'm just going to look at my um, sponsor list because I have one of our sponsors actually sitting here in the room with me. Um, so I don't want to mess it up. So very, very thank you very much to Jason um, from 10X for sponsoring us. Um, if you want to learn how to scale your scaling business and um, do it without having any pain whatsoever and just living this dream life, <laughs> this is the place you go. Gee. <laughs> how to overpromise. <laughs> uh, thank you to Exec Care. Um, you know, so so we talked a little bit about looking after your health. So if you want to look at yourself yeah. holistically, go to them. Um, and then obviously we're talking about going places a lot, which is where Bidvest um, comes in. So you can either buy a car from Bidvest McCarthy or you can hire one from Bidvest Car Hire. Um, thank you very much, guys. If you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this and you want more information about the organization, go to eonetwork.org um, and you can find out more about how to get in touch with us. So thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you in the next one. Cheers, Jason. Thank you. Cheers, Russ. Thanks, mate. Okay. Bye.